This is Neijing Now, prioritizing well-being. Neijing is the vitality that shields us from disease. Neijing Now, demystifying medicine, cultivating resilience, empowering host resistance, prioritizing primary prevention. I'm Dr. Jayshree Chander. I welcome you to another short clip exploring Neijing Now. I'm speaking with Kavita Krishnan. She's the secretary of the All India Progressive Women's Association in Delhi. Kavita, welcome to Neijing Now. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, Kavita, can you tell me about your work? See, the organization to which I belong, we have a specific emphasis on organizing women from the working class. It's easier to say than to explain because it's such a wide range of women in very different kinds of work. The IPWA's very strong identity has been its organization among the landless laborers, uh, women laborers. Their issues revolved around, of course, the issue of wages, not only equal wages for equal work with men, but also, you know, minimum wages. Probably the biggest issue was that most of these women are Dalit women. They are from the oppressed caste. They would face, especially in the 1980s, a very strong kind of uh, sexual violence and other forms of uh, violence flowing from the feudal sense of entitlement that men from the upper castes would uh, demand as a mark of superiority over the Dalit caste. This is in the workplace or just in their lives? In their lives, but also in the workplace, which would be the fields belonging to the upper caste landed, you know, the landlord. So they would be working as laborers in those fields. Their shack, their hut would be on those fields. They would need to use those fields for defecation and so on and so forth. So the thing is that their lives would be under constant scrutiny from and control of the upper caste. So actually the struggles are then related to freeing themselves from various forms of bondage. Sexual bondage came first, where they uh, rebelled against the practice of a married woman having to spend her first night in the upper caste person's house. This practice was finished off. How did they finish that off and how did that tradition even come about? It's like the feudal senior kind of thing which has prevailed in feudal societies all over the world. Women mobilized in very large numbers against this and then this practice was ended. Can I just say congratulations? But the thing is that there are other kinds of bondage that remain. The fact that their home would remain on the land which did not belong to them. So the Dalit agricultural women uh, laborers of Punjab very recently, just uh, 2009, they had demanded from the government that the government should allocate homestead land for all landless people. Elections were about to happen, so the parties promised that this will be done once we are elected. So what people did just prior to the election was to occupy that land. It was public land, so they started constructing their huts there. Because they knew that if they don't do that, then post-elections, it's not going to happen. The government that was elected there cracked down on the workers and they arrested people wholesale. They arrested around a thousand women and their children. They separated several of the women from their children, so the women didn't know what had happened to their children. And women were jailed for a pretty long period of time. It took a big struggle to have them released. But still, they continued the struggle because in name, of course, they are free labor, right? If you don't want to work in someone's field, you can go and work in someone else's. If he's not paying you enough, you go and work somewhere else. Even this nominal freedom that capitalism gives you, even that is not really available if your home is tied to one person's field, right? If you were to go and work somewhere else, then you know you would lose your home here, which is why the question of homestead land becomes so important to the sense of freedom that women want. Yeah, so what happened then? Actually, the struggle is still ongoing. Some of those women have succeeded in holding on to homestead plots and building houses there. Some of them have not, and at least they have continuously been forcing governments to commit themselves to providing this. But the actual provision of it is something which is still, you know, yet 
とか。Yeah, the wheels turn slowly.So what methods were they using?You know, you can call it a kind of occupy, right? Because what they would do was plant red flags on the land, construct a makeshift home there.This has happened in other parts of the country as well recently, in Bihar, in Siwan district.It wasn't a police attack, it was an attack by the Apakas who came and started shooting bullets and all of that.There was hardly any coverage of this movement. But the only coverage that did appear on the national uh, TV channels and so on, they would show the footage of the uh, landless poor defending themselves, including women, with homemade implements. So they would show that and they would say, look how violent these people are, look at them, without asking, without seeing that, you know, these are obviously extremely poor, extremely deprived people who are clearly fighting a defensive battle. You know, what are those other people doing there? They have won a victory there in the sense that uh, while some cases have been booked against the leaders, they have managed to prevent people from being arrested for this. And although a couple of people from the upper caste were killed in this clash, but the kind of crackdown which the government of Bihar wanted to do, they were not able to do because of the strength of the movement. You're bringing up a couple issues. One is the violence against women in the workplace or just the violence against women and the media coverage. The way that violence against women in India is being covered in the media here, many of my colleagues and friends are coming to me and asking me if I think that it's so much worse in India. My response is actually that a female is getting raped every 12 minutes in the United States, so I think that it's a worldwide problem, but I'd like your perspective on violence against women and the media coverage of it. I'm so glad you asked me that because I've been facing exactly these same kind of questions from the media in the US or Britain or France. And everyone's asking me about the whole problem as though sexual violence and rape culture is something which is very, very unique to Indian culture, which is very far from the truth. Each of us, where we are located, have to recognize expose and you know identify and unpack the kinds of sexism we see around us the kind of misogyny we see around us it's always the case that the misogyny around us never seems to be that visible it's the same case for people in india the misogyny we see around us in india is something which appears perfectly normal perfectly natural so it's for the women's movement in india to jolt society to show how deeply unnatural it is how extremely violent it is to expose it for violence to recognize it for that, to call it out. So I think that people in America, for you to call it out in India is very easy because something there appears different. The tough job which the women's movement here in America ought to do is look around you here and look at the sexism and misogyny which masquerades as empowerment and freedom here. There's so much of that in the marketplace and capitalism. And as for rape culture, you know, this habit of blaming the victim for uh, sexual violence, this seems to me an international phenomenon After all, the slut walk protests started in Canada after a Canadian cop made the kind of remark saying that, you know, you dressed the wrong way and that's why you asked for it. What's hopeful to me is the public protests that are happening in India, which are not happening here. We had an equally horrifying rape in Ohio where the football team raped an intoxicated teenager, took video footage, put it on social media. We should have been protesting in the streets the way the Indian public has protested in the streets. And that is what gives me hope. People in mass numbers are saying no more. That's exactly it, you know. I'm really so glad that you said that because that's exactly the feeling I've been having when I've been speaking to friends in the women's movement and the left movement in the United States or in Britain has been that they've been so inspired by the fact that 
there was this movement in India and that is really what is important for us in India it's very special because none of us expected people to be out on the streets especially young men and of course a large number of women you know in the Indian women's movement has at least three decades long history of very remarkable mobilizations but the difference has been that this time we saw first time participants spontaneously young girls on the streets raising slogans which were not just asking for some kind of retributive justice like a penalty for the rapists but they were talking about rape culture they were saying don't teach us how to dress you teach men not to rape they were raising slogans that said my voice is higher than my, my skirts they were trying to say which clothes should we wear that we should not be raped or stuff like that so it was very angry against this habit that every case of violence against women being followed by some manner of justification some manner of questioning about whether the woman could have done something to avoid it i think that that was really remarkable and these were clearly the ideas of the women's movement that had taken root beyond the borders of the actual women's organizations and that was really special and wonderful I agree it was very heartening and very empowering I felt like it was a moment in history where things are actually going to take a turn and what was even as you mentioned very special was that our brothers and our uncles and our fathers came out and joined us in raising their voices because ultimately the responsibility of rape lies with the men who are committing the rapes see it started with a sense of outrage that this could happen in delhi very soon the movement started to look at other contexts so for instance rape by india's army or rape by india's police force which is clearly rape as state policy so the women there are facing rapes where they can't even hope for justice then the question of marital rape which is still exempted in india's laws we want some improvements in the rape law but the marital rape exemption still remains and there's still this law that protects army officers from being brought to trial in an ordinary court it was important that the movement took up all this it took up the question of dalit women being raped or muslim women being raped because they are muslim above all they raised the slogan of women wanting freedom the freedom of the women on the streets at school in college the freedom of women in kashmir or the northeast of india where there are insurgency movements for self determination of adivasi women against corporate plunder of their resources their forests their land even the question of the rights of people of a different sexual orientation which is something india has been very reluctant to talk about till very recently yeah that's fantastic really planet earth was given to both men and women and we both deserve to be free human beings it is unfortunate that marital rape is not being acknowledged as a crime in india but eventually we'll get there and it's really great that these other forms of organized crime are being addressed corporation condoned sexual violence against women and state and military sexual violence against women are really a huge problem in many many parts of the world so we're going to look to india to take the lead and show the world the way as a physician who specializes in occupational and environmental medicine i'd really like to know what the major issues are that women are facing in the workplace in terms of health and safety see these are actually enormous issues now because the ways in which the workplace is organized by multinational capital across the world in india in bangladesh we have just seen the factory fire in bangladesh the factory collapse in bangladesh that brings home to you how in south asian countries african countries as well even the most basic kinds of safety are not available you had the triangle fire the 19 uh, i think it was 13 or 14 in the united states where women had to you know jump from a burning building they were garment workers now the same thing is happening in bangladesh or india today 
That's a hundred years later. Yes, you know, it's almost as though the scene has shifted. Okay, you can't have this in the United States in the same way anymore. You know, you kind of outsource all of this exploitation out there onto someone else. But it's the same brands, the same garment manufacturers who are benefiting from this. The other thing is the kinds of work schedules that you have. You see, the whole attempt on the part of capital is to try and increase the working day as much as possible. They try and reduce things like even uh, lunch hours, even the time you need to go to the toilet, the number of times you will visit the toilet, all these are limited. They are clocked, they are timed. And then you also have places where women are working, where they are exposed to a whole lot of pollutants. It's difficult to raise these issues at the workplace because of the insecure nature of the employment. It's become the norm for employment in India today. It's very difficult for anyone to have a permanent job, condoned by the Indian government in the service of global capital. So the right to organize at the workplace, the right to raise any questions at the workplace, these are denied completely. Yeah, this work culture is being exported from America. We face it here, limited time to eat lunch. I'm advocating for putting occupational indigestion as a compensable work injury. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. You know, I just wanted to add that for women, you see, it's a double burden because even when you go back home, it's not like you're going back to this haven where someone else will then serve you, right? The entire burden of household work has also increased due to austerity measures and all of that and the withdrawal of the state from various welfare services and social services. So all those cuts have meant that women actually bear that huge burden of household labor in a new way. And I really link this also with the increase in rape culture by people in public office, by governments in India or in the United States. Rape culture is one of the ways in which you teach women, this is your job. This is what it means to be a real woman. Don't try to aspire outside your role. Be a good woman and you won't be raped and so on. Therefore, the struggle against violence, you know, sexual violence, cannot be compartmentalized off from the struggles for justice at the workplace. Absolutely. Very well said. Well, you know, in Venezuela, work at home, household work and parenting is counted as work that counts towards your social security. What needs to happen is to understand that household work is important work and it should be counted as real and has economic value. Yes, I completely agree. The other thing that needs to be brought into the conversation, and we don't have time to get into it now, is the impact of sexual violence on men. The impact of that violence on a perpetrator or on a man who has some kind of relationship with a surviving woman. The way I think about it is uh, there's a poem by a Hindi poet who says that the household has walls and the household is a prison house or a charnel house. It's a very remarkable poem about how custodianship in the household, which is uh, said to be a safe haven for women, is actually a very violent place for women, which prevents them from being equal human beings. Absolutely. Most sexual violence occurs at home. Sexual and other forms of violence too. You know, the whole business of custodianship and control over women's reproduction and sexuality. He ends by saying... All of us who are alive, we are all guilty. Every time I read that poem, it resonates with a sense of the burden that men feel. Even when you are actually enjoying that privilege and even possibly exercising that privilege, that entitlement, I really think that it cannot but dehumanize. It doesn't just dehumanize women. It dehumanizes men, the perpetrators as well. When you're committing an act of violence that is dehumanizing another, you are also becoming less than human. Tell us the name of the poem. Band Khirkiyon Se Takrakar. Can you tell us what that means? It means crashing against closed windows.
So the poem is basically about how there are walls in the houses and how there are closed windows in the house and how a woman like a bird she crashes her head against the windows again and again and falls bloodied onto the floor. The rest of it is showing how the wonderful words we use in India for women all very respectful about how she is a goddess, you know, how she is so respected and how India is always proud of its women and women are deified. How all that is actually obscuring the real violence that women face in their daily lives. Tell us about the poet Gorak Pandey is a very remarkable poet who died in 1989 he committed suicide you know he was a uh, suffered from schizophrenia and uh, you know lost that battle but he was a very remarkable poet politically this poem is in hindi but what he did after a point was he stopped writing poems in hindi he went and started writing poems in bhojpuri which is the language of the dalit agricultural laborers and he began to you know write poems for the movement let's hear the poem band khidkiyon se takrakar gorak pandey ki kavita घर घर में दीवारें हैं दीवारों में बंद खिड़कियां हैं बंद खिड़कियों से टकराकर अपना सर लहूलुहान गिर पड़ी है वो नई बहू है घर की लक्ष्मी है इनके सपनों की रानी है कुल की इज्जत है आधी दुनिया है जहां अर्चना होती उसकी वहां देवता रमते हैं वह सीता है सावित्री है वह जननी है स्वर्गादपि गरीयसी है लेकिन बंद खिड़कियों से टकरा अपना सर लहूलुहान गिर पड़ी है वो कानूनन समान है वह स्वतंत्र भी है बड़े बड़ों की नजरों में तो धन का एक यंत्र भी है भूल रहे हैं वे सबसे ऊपर वह मनुष्य है उसे चाहिए प्यार चाहिए खुली हवा लेकिन बंद खिड़कियों से टकराकर अपना सर लहूलुहान गिर पड़ी है वो चाह रही है वह जीना लेकिन घुट घुट कर मरना भी क्या जीना घर घर में शमशान घाट है घर घर में फांसी घर है घर घर में दीवारें हैं दीवारों से टकरा गिरती है वो गिरती है आधी दुनिया सारी मनुष्यता गिरती है हम जो जिंदा हैं हम सब अपराधी हैं हम दंडित हैं क्या बात है वेरी ब्यूटीफुल थैंक यू सो मच इट्स बिन अ रियली ब्यूटीफुल कन्वर्सेशन एंड आई रियली अप्रिशिएट हैविंग द अपॉर्चुनिटी टू टॉक विद यू आई रियली एंजॉयड इट टू दैट वाज कविता कृष्णन फ्रॉम द ऑल इंडिया प्रोग्रेसिव वुमेंस एसोसिएशन इन न्यू दिल्ली I'm Dr. Jayashree Chander, creator of Naging Now, a podcast about prioritizing well-being, on the web at neijingnow.org. Naging Now is independent and entirely listener-supported. If you enjoyed the clip, please share it with your friends. Like us on Facebook and donate generously. Your support is essential to keeping Naging Now alive. <laughs>